Well, well, well. Fancy seeing you here, Tom Parry. Fancy seeing you, Matthew. I know. There's a microphone in front of you, Tom. There's a microphone in front of me. And after two months, it's time for a podcast. It's Tom and Matt Tapp. Matt, there's also an aeroplane flying over right now as we start, so... Uh... Yeah, setting the tone for this podcast, I guess. I've got my fingers crossed that it doesn't continue throughout the entire podcast, because I think the last one we did, um, did we have... Was that you know, fan noise that... from the computer? It, it was, and the time... So we've tried to record podcasts. Like, um, <laughs> It's worth saying, this two months hiatus... Some of it slightly planned, uh, for reasons we'll go into. Um, some of it just plagued by technical malfunction. Um, yeah. If it's not the computer fan, it's a plane. Or, well, my Zoom, uh, my my H4 decided one day just not to record the thing, remember? Oh, like, yeah, that one as well, yeah. yeah. That happened. We've had, that. we've had a couple of technical mishaps. Um, my body had a technical mishap as well, um, and uh, got that, that wonderful call thing it? called uh, the Delta variant, um, and that wasn't fun, Tom. I, mm. I, I think you know the, the the lesson I took away from that was um, wear a mask, wash your hands, and get fucking vaccinated. And I'm just I'm going to say that upfront, loud and proud. If you haven't got a vaccine, consider getting one. COVID is not fun. I did not have a vaccine because I was due to get it the day before I got tested positive and the day after my wife tested positive. And, yeah, um, yeah 14 days of hell. Don't get COVID. I am a young man. I am healthy. I run. Don't think you are bulletproof. Get a bloody vaccine. That's all I'm going to say on it. So, yeah, but I imagine in your downtime, you made use of your uh, newly acquisitioned uh, console. <laughs> Yeah, oh, the irony. So um, I got a PlayStation 5, um, like, the week before I got COVID. <laughs> and it was it was as I was about to go on my summer vacation that obviously was cut a bit short by, you know, said Delta variant. And I was like, wow, I got a PlayStation 5, amazing. So I unboxed it, I set it up, and I made sure the HDMI cable was in so I could see that little the opening screen that you only see when you boot it up and I was like wow what a premium console experience TM mm. and then I didn't really play it to be honest with you. Like, I set it up I I watched some one piece on that their crunchy roll and I was like right okay I'm going to get into this but we've got rail passes to travel around Denmark it's only for this week I will play this I will get into this in my second week mm. of my vacation and, uh, yeah, lo and behold, we, we managed to travel around Denmark for all of three days and then we got bloody COVID. So I, honestly, like, with being sick, I just couldn't concentrate. I couldn't read books. I couldn't really do much other than sleep and listen to audiobooks. It was kind of the only real things I could do. Yeah, so, I, I always find if I'm you know, under the weather, I can't play a video game. And uh, I think you were definitely under the weather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean... 
I, I've been sick before. Like, I've had sinus infections and whatever, and gone, oh, well, I'll guess I'll play some Final Fantasy fourteen or, you know, something quite easy and not too taxing. Mm. But I honestly, like, I was just so tired and so just fluey, just felt wrong. Like, we had, like, 39-degree fevers and headaches and all this stuff. I couldn't look at a screen. I couldn't really concentrate. And to be honest with you, I couldn't concentrate on reading like i had i couldn't read books or mm. even like websites and stuff for like a week or two after we'd recovered that's really so, uh, dehabilitating yes um but after that after we had got over it like properly after my temperature dropped and all this i was like okay i want something i want to i want to do something other than just watching TV and just sitting back, I was like, okay, I've heard Astrobot is pretty chill, and I can confirm Astrobot is pretty chill. Also, a very good game, as we have talked about in length in this podcast. Did we talk about? Did that actually get recorded? I don't I'm know not... if it did. I think that was in our last episode. It might have been in our last episode. Yeah, Tom <laughs> Harry, I I am a convert to Astrobot. I thought it was a very very good 3D platformer. It, and I, I think what I was saying back at the time was this is like Nintendo levels of platforming quality. How yes. do you feel about that statement? I I would stand by that statement. Um, I I still. I still stand by my own revelation of the Lucky's Tale thing that I'm not really into 3D platformers. They don't really scratch that itch for me. But I think Astrobot was so well put together. I think it had so many quirky little things trying to show off what the controller could do. And it worked as a demo as well, didn't it? As well as working as a really good platform game, it also functioned as a fantastic demo for the system. Yeah, it did. I mean... it much like the the previous Astrobot games, like the VR one and the one you got with the PlayStation th- uh, 4, Astro's Playroom, I think they really show off what the PlayStation can do. But beyond that, I really liked how much of a love letter it clearly was to the PlayStation brand and like everything that's gone on. And mm. each each of the four like main levels were all kind of based around different aspects of the PlayStation 5 and showing that off and also the DualSense controller but it just had a lot of love and affection a lot of the collectibles are like PlayStation peripherals of different versions of different consoles Mm. and these four areas as we talked about on the lost episode which I I think we should just stop referring (laughs) because obviously no one else has heard it um, was, you know, like, the first area is the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2, and so the collectibles you're getting are things like, oh, the PlayStation 2 modem or the memory card for the PlayStation 1. Here's one for you. You get a very weird-looking PS4 VR box. It doesn't look like the one I've got. Really? You know, it has, like, a little flap on it or something, if I remember. I can't remember. To be That's honest, a very specific thing, yeah. but... <laughs> Maybe maybe it's the breakout box I have because I got it later. I got the revised model. Well, maybe I got the revised model as well. I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe it's the first Any, one then. Yeah, anyway, okay. um, they're really lovingly rendered. All these different pieces of Sony paraphernalia, gaming paraphernalia, are just are amazing and interactive too, which is cool. As you have them all in a sort of lobby area in in the hub of the game, and you can go and check them out and press the buttons and the little. Uh, 
Astrobots uh, interact with them. Yeah, there's even an achievement for jumping on the eject button of the original PlayStation, which, of course, raises yeah. the tray and sends an Astrobot flying yeah. through the air, which is quite funny. Yeah, like photo real, aren't they? They, they look really uh, amazing. Yeah. Rendered on the, the PS5. Um... A lot of love and attention there, for sure. What was your favourite minigame? The one... I kind of... I, I like them all, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So when you say minigame, you mean like the contraptions that he jumps in? Yes, or... exactly. Like yeah. they, We should stick with it. Like, uh, as you're going through the levels, you are playing as an astrobot. And you're running around doing 3D platforming stuff. And in those levels, there are certain sections that kind of say, hey, well, Astrobot jumps in this little thing. And now we are going to show you an aspect of the dual sense and how the mm. dual sense really works. You get a feel for this new controller. Yeah. What so let's run down what we've got. Yeah. Yeah. So we've there's got the, rolling the hoppy ball. Th- rolling ball, the hoppy thing. Yes. The monkey. The monkey. And there's a little spaceship, like a floaty spaceship, isn't there? Yes, there is a little floaty spaceship. Hmm. Okay, I think they've all got their own unique charms. Yeah, and you interact with them all differently. Like the roly one, you'd think maybe that would use like a gyroscope, but that actually uses the touchpad. Yeah. The roly ball, which actually works better than you'd, you'd think. Uh, as you roll over different surfaces and such. Now, the uh, spring and the hoppy thing is kind of cool. Uh, yeah. The feeling of the, the coil of the spring tightening and how that's replicated with the haptic feedback in the DualSense controller is is pretty nice. I don't find that as maybe the most fun to control. No. Maybe. It's not as, as much freedom there. Uh, what else have we got? We've got the, uh, the, the I ship. Thought, yeah, I thought, I thought the ship was pretty fun. I mean, like, uh. I like the scrolling levels. I can't really remember what the... The gimmick was behind the ship, though. Was it tilting it with the gyroscope? Was it to direct the uh, direction of the ship? Potentially. You do do that with the the jumpy, the the springy thing as well, don't you? Sorry, yeah. this terminology is terrible. Uh, but if you played the game, you know what we're talking about. If you yeah, haven't, I... <laughs> um, the springy thing, right? So there's a there's a bottle you get in, which is definitely controlled by a touch thing yeah which you know it's just like it's a ball maze the springy thing is you know those toys you would sometimes get when you were a child there was like a spring on a stick and you know it would be like mario or it would be a frog or something and you'd press it down and it would spring up it's kind of like that but the spring has more momentum, like you can flop to the left and the right. It's very Yeah, much... basically you have to turn the, the dual sense in direction you want to hop, basically, yes. don't you? And and then mm-hmm. you uh, push in the triggers. Is it both triggers or one trigger? I can't remember. To yeah. sort of tighten the spring and then let go and it springs in the direction you've got the controller pointing in. Uh, that, yeah, that, that is very memorable out of all of them. There's also the little things like the bow and arrow at one point, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. And the crazy machine gun you get in the space yeah. levels, which yeah. are, are quite fun. There is a lot to appreciate. I don't know if any one of them is my favourite. Do you have a favourite? I, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't. I, I find a level of challenge in all of them. Mm. I would say perhaps once I'd gotten the hang of it, I liked the monkey climbing thing. Like, There's a satisfaction to the monkey as you used uh, your left and right triggers as the monkey's hands, didn't you? You have to... Yes. 
And also there's gyroscope in that it wasn't there. There is, yeah, you kinda have to so you have to tilt the controller to get the monkey to go towards a certain handhold. So like if you've yeah. ever played like a Tomb Raider or an Uncharted or even an Assassin's Creed, you're essentially you're on like a climbing wall and there are areas where you can climb to and you use the controller to tilt towards the next point. But mm. then you use the the resistance and the triggers of the dual sense to essentially like tighten or have a light grip on stuff and some of yeah, them the light grip one's tricky isn't it when it introduces yeah. those ones usually you're tightly gripping over the trigger to grab but sometimes you can't do that because the uh, the handholds are so brittle you need to just put a little bit of pressure on and then yeah. you just see that the levels of sensitivity within uh sort of like a um uh, gamecube controller isn't it yeah it is but i mean definitely miles and leagues ahead of that like yeah, yeah it's, quite a, it's an evolution of that basic concept that you you can push down certain degrees and then there's like a button at the end of it isn't there that's, yeah that's you. and sometimes they increase the pressure needed to actually hit the final kind of point of the trigger exactly yeah it, it's it's a really interesting thing like i i haven't played a game on my playstation 5 yet that has some of the stuff I've heard of, of like Call of Duty, where apparently like your the trigger won't be able to move; it'll like jam, and you have to like really press it to like fire a thing. I haven't had any of that level of resistance. Yet. I've had that in Ratchet and Clank. Okay. In terms of, I think the standard setup, if you want to use the dual sense controls, is there's a sl- there's resistance whenever you fire the gun. Yeah. Which, considering in Ratchet and Clank, you're mostly firing a gun. Yeah. I didn't like that. I, I, I thought it worked better without that resistance. I didn't want to have to put more pressure on to do something that you need to do constantly within the game. Yeah, that's fine. And I've, I mean... I've heard that Dirt 5 also has that problem as well, if you want to use dual sense controls, that you actually, there's resistance on the trigger. And considering you have to keep the trigger held down constantly in a racing game, uh, yeah. I've heard that that's probably not the best. Now... Yeah, you can implement these features in different ways, and that's just two examples of things that you know wouldn't be my preference. But um, I think the possibilities introduced with this functionality are really cool, and you do get them a bit in Astrobot, I suppose. Yeah, I, Returnal handles it better than from the sounds of things. I'll talk about Returnal in a bit, but like Returnal has. Um, you have your gun, and like you are obviously you're constantly firing with the right trigger, and that has, you know the usual thing where the the top half of the the press is like flappy you know it's very yeah. light and then the bottom half has got a bit of resistance to it well that's that, that, that's that, that's rush, basically that's like rushing clank but i didn't like yeah. that i'm, uh, I'm to- yeah i'm fine with that like i i don't feel that resistance when i'm holding the trigger down like if i've got a carbine in that game which is essentially like a light machine gun you're like it feels fine they do quite a clever thing with like an alt fire in that game where they do the same things so you have the you have like the half press of the button which is quite light to zoom so you can go into a more aimed position and then if you want to use your special attack on that gun like a charged attack then you push through the resistance it kind of yeah okay allows you to sense. use the versatility of the buttons which i think is quite clever anyway We'll talk about that in a bit. I was going to say, um, just touching on Ratchet and Clank uh, briefly there, uh, you can customise what features of the DualSense you want to use. So if there's a certain element of it you don't like, you can just turn that part off and keep the rest. You don't have to shut off all functionality of it. 
yeah. and sort of tailor it to your preference, which I think is really nice. In fact, Ratchet and Clank is very much uh, very friendly towards the user in terms of what you can turn on and off and the different graphics modes and and such. I'm sure. I, it, it's very interesting to me. Like, I'm curious to play that game. I know your thoughts on it, and we'll talk about it in a bit, I well, assume. Well, yeah, it, it's it's pretty great, you know. Uh, I've been dipping in and out of it since, since picking up. I'm not... Yeah, I don't think it's a revolutionary game or anything, but it's a beautiful game, and also I've had the chance to play it in 4K now. And yeah. you, you, if you put it on fidelity mode on a 4K TV then, yeah, it is Pixar quality. And, and not old Pixar, like new Pixar. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of like that sort of animated feature film quality all the time. Seamless transitions between cutscenes. And, yeah, it's it's pretty astounding. And solid as well. It's solid gameplay. But it's very similar to um, other Ratchet & Clank games. Yeah, yeah. yeah, makes sense. Um, what do you think of the dual sense overall as a controller? I think it feels like a high quality um, piece of kit and uh, I think it's better than the PlayStation 4 controller. I think it's comfier. I, I think don't, it feels... No? I don't agree. Um, with, well, it's with a bit that bigger, anyway. which I like about it. I like um, how chunky the handles are on it and uh, I feel it's a little bit bigger, a little bit more robust, a little uh, more expensive... I mean, don't get me wrong. I I don't doubt the quality of this thing. I do think it feels like a, a quality controller. I do yeah, think everything. It feels like... It's like the sticks and the triggers feel better than the PS. The triggers especially. Now I can contest yeah. to how crappy the triggers can be on a PS4 controller because yeah, they do wear down pretty quickly, and I've had my fair share of problems there. I think I think the thing that doesn't sit right for me for the DualSense, and I mean I've gotten used to it now, but there's a a slight like angle to how you hold the controller and like the bits that sit in your hand like the handles of it that really ergonomically didn't agree with my hands and how I hold the controller when I first started playing with I it. Think I've gotten used to it I didn't have that whatsoever really? I I, I just took to it straight out I didn't, which is odd because I, I, I'm a big fan of the, the Dual Shock 4 I, I think... For me, that that controller, the way I could hold that, felt quite light and okay. quite breezy. Like I, I agree with you that I've had several of them. I've got them in different colors and whatever, and the build quality differs. I've had lots of like long-term legacy problems with shitty battery life, or the weird case that happened when you were here when we tried to pair one of the controllers up with your controller. Now it kind of like hard locks every now and again, like it's searching for another console, which is annoying even though i've reset it multiple times also the sticks get a bit iffy sometimes and i found i had to like turn the sticks just to kind of loosen them up because they get grime and dirt maybe that's just yeah, something that happens sure. over time but uh i think it's an improvement although i must say what i prefer about other controllers for example the xbox controller is a placement yeah. of the sticks i've never really liked the sticks being where they are i'm fine with it i can play the games I just feel it's a more natural placement to have the uh, one of the sticks in the uh, top left-hand corner because yeah, that's yeah, your main input device, really. And it feels like that should be there and the D-pad should be below it because you yeah. don't use a D-pad as much. That's But if you're playing a fighting game and using the D-pad, then 
I guess the PlayStation controller is preferable for that. Well, for sure. I mean, that's yeah. just like the, the state of the D-pads on an Xbox controller, though. I mean, it's gotten a lot better, but it, it was rough there for a little while. I like the um, series D-pads. Yeah, I mean, to be to be yeah. totally honest with you, any time I look at in, an Elite controller for the Xbox, I'm like, ooh, an Elite controller would be nice. Mm. I look at the look of that. But obviously, I'm... I've got a next-gen Xbox. I've got a one, as long-term listeners know, but it's in the attic somewhere. I, <laughs> like that. I, just... I mean, to be fair, like I will, I will probably get an Xbox at some point. I would recommend no. getting uh, the uh, Series S for you if we don't have a big library of games. Yeah, I, don't I, pay I, the extra. I wouldn't say. Um... Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? That's kind of what was kind of caught me off guard with the PlayStation why it's taken me so long to get a PS5 was I've had the I've had the option of buying a digital one once or twice and I've nearly done it but I'm like I literally have about 50 or 60 disc based PS4 games this would be dumb and so I haven't yeah and the ability to play the old games on it and get them upgraded for example I think I've upgraded um Balin Wonderworld and um, Jedi Fallen Order, and uh, I got um, a more. What's it? Phoenix Rising. Mortal? Yeah, I, I got that out of the library at the moment. I haven't played it yet, but mm, I played it very briefly. And of course, that is cheaper as a PS4 game. It's got a free PS5 upgrade. I actually, since we last chatted about it, you don't have to install the PS4 version first. I thought with Balin Wonderworld, I did that. Yeah. Actually, all you have to do is put the disc in. And then uh, it will show up a little icon when you select the game with a link to the PlayStation Store. Um, if you've, you know, got put in a PS4 version and it will allow you to um, upgrade. So you don't have to go through installing the PS4 version. You can just get the PS5 version. That's oh, what that's you interesting. Want. Mm. But they act as two different things. So if you started the game on PS4... Yeah. Then you haven't got the ability to transfer the save very easily. You do with some games. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order does that pretty well. Um, but they act as, they would always act as two different games in terms of trophies. So where yeah. I've I've got you know, got quite far in the PS4 version of Fallen Order, now I'm set back to stage one with the trophies. And I'm uh, wondering, can I even get any of those trophies that I got earlier in the game anymore now? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. So you might not be able to platinum games you already started on PS4. You might want to start them all over again on PS5. Hmm. Yeah. There is that to consider. Which isn't the case on Xbox. No. I mean, I I think Microsoft's got the... This whole thing that Sony has with the idea of generations I think really gets in the way of usability from mm-hmm. a player perspective, like the need to upgrade games, the need to do all of this other stuff, which just doesn't exist on the Xbox. Like, It, it, it doesn't, yeah. Out, um, Outriders is Outriders. Resident Evil Village is that game. You just put it in a different console and it works in a different way and it looks different. Like That's all there is to it. Yeah, and you're saved. You're guaranteed that your saves are going to just be there. Uh, whereas yeah. sometimes, you know, if my cloud is... Update save game on PS4 hasn't for some reason updated in a while because it doesn't seem to update all the time. Yeah, you'll find you might have only updated it ages ago and played the game since. And when you go to use that same save that you download from the cloud, 
yeah it's not what you want um Uh, i find what i want to do is manually copy the save of the game i want to play on the ps5 just mm -hmm. to ensure that it's the same save i i last left it at yeah yeah oh god that sounds inconvenient i mean like it was a bit of a pain in the ass to do the transfer process I didn't do that. I didn't because I didn't have the PS4 and the PS5 in the same place at yeah. the time. I um, I did um, transferring stuff like oh God. I I pretty much I just transferred over the things that I was like, okay, Final Fantasy Alive, uh, 14 I'm gonna play probably today. I want that. I want this. I want that. So I just kind of cherry picked some stuff, and it was like, oh yeah, well it's gonna take. Uh, half a day and I was like wow 12, 12 hours seems like a long time to transfer these files seems as these consoles are literally sat above each other but okay fine do what you need to do and that's um, all gone onto the PS5 uh, internal drive yes and yeah. some like it, it kind of does it in stages so it transferred the media things I wanted it transferred some other bits and bobs over like saves and preferences and whatever. I could have transferred media, but I was like, no, it's fine. I don't need. You should be in a better position than me with regards to saves, then. Yes, yeah. but the issue was it kept, because it's transferring all this stuff at once, it would just decide, like, at some point, for some reason, I don't know, because neither console went to rest. It would just go, like, yeah, sorry, this is a lot of data. It stopped. Uh, I guess you can try again. I was like, oh, but I don't want to. It took 10 hours for this thing. Wow. Like, surely a lot of this stuff is on you. Yeah, I did so experience meant, this, yeah. It meant me, like, go- going in and being fiddly with going, like, right, okay, well, I know Final Fantasy Eleven is on there. I've seen that. So, I, uh, 14, sorry. I don't need to transfer Final Fantasy fourteen. Oh, Catherine, Four Body isn't on you. Maybe I should transfer that. Or do I need to? Should I just play that on the PS4? And it, it led to this, like, kind of Sophie's choice of being going, on. Oh, well, should I leave some stuff on the old console because it's still set up? Or I think I've had to do that in terms of the amount of games I've got. Yeah. But I did actually buy an SSD, a one terabyte SSD for my PS5, an yeah. external one. Uh, it cost me about £80 or something. No, it cost right. more than that. It cost £100 Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, SSDs ain't cheap. About £100, £220, I can't remember, for a one terabyte SSD. Now, I think that was a great decision because it means that I have space on the PS5 internal for PS5 games yeah. uh, because I was getting to a point where there would be no room to play any PS5 games on the PS5 if I yeah. didn't get myself an external drive for PS4. And what you can do in the options is set it so every PS4 game you go to play on it will install to the um, external drive automatically. Okay. Uh, so that's really nice. So I don't have to worry about getting it on the right drive and moving it over. Uh, Xbox actually doesn't do that. I think it, I don't think there's a setting to automatically install Xbox One games to an SSD. I think it just installs them to whatever you've told them is a default installation. Yeah. Whereas PlayStation, you have that option there. And I really like the ability uh, just to not have to think about that. You put in a no, PS4 game, you know it's going on the external drive. Yeah. Yeah. That must be nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I recommend it. I mean, it's more money, but it's well worth it if you want to play PS4 games on the PS5. Yeah, I, I literally, honestly, the only thing I was doing for a while was because I couldn't be bothered to look up passwords for media stuff was using the 
the PS4 for some media. For some reason, HBO Nordic is not on the PlayStation 5 oh. yet, so I still need to, like, watch that. I have Tell you to what's have. not on PS5, at least last time I checked. iPlayer. Really? Yeah. Wow. And uh, definitely My5, the Channel 5 here in the UK, is not available as an app on PS5 either. Okay. Well, so, so yeah, they need to sort that out and get all the apps working. With well, it. I get, I get, I guess it's up to the the people who own the things, right? It's probably the BBC you would need to do the uh, work yeah. rather than the PlayStation. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But Sorry. I'd expect now, seeing that PlayStation Five has been out as long as it's been out now, you know, despite the fact that not everyone's been able to get one who wants one. Well, but, I mean, still, still, Sony's fastest-selling console of all time—ten million units or five yeah. million units—and I was like, "Where? <laughs> like, <laughs> took me ten months to get one." Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I Astrobot wrapping back around on Barry. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, Good it's game. a great game, and there's some nice surprises near the end of the game as well. Um, the final boss of the game yes. was particularly uh, pleasing. Yes, I, you, I would agree. I don't want to give it away for those who haven't no, had a chance to play it yet. But it's, it's a lovely surprise, and I think that game is best left not spoil, and you just enjoy what what comes as you play. Exactly. I, there were mm. moments where I wanted to be like, "Oh well, this happens, and it's like this," and I'm like, "No, that I'll leave that. I'll leave that discovery to people. It's not like it's a game you have to purchase, and some people won't play. If you get a PS5, you get Astrobot, and you can go and enjoy that." It does make you think of the legacy of PlayStation, which isn't something I always think about. You think of Nintendo having as a, the heritage and the long life of Nintendo as a company. But then when you think about it, Sony's been around an awful long time. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it should have been a Super Nintendo attachment. Like, it, it's it's a long-running history and legacy. I mean, Yeah, Sony's been making consoles for a very long time, and, and this game really just goes to show... The amount of stuff that they've released, both hardware and uh, iconic games, and uh, yeah, it's uh, for sure. It it does nice. kind of make me sad though sometimes when I'm looking at like going through a level and seeing a reference to an old Sony game, and I'm like, you know, people like this because you clearly put this into like twinge your heartstrings. Why didn't you just make another? Well, let's one just that's... say Jumping Flash. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> jumping like I mean, there's Apescape stuff in there as well, but like yeah. Jumping Flash was the one where I was in a yeah. in a level. I was like. Oh, this jumping flash stuff. Make another fucking jumping flash. Why isn't ju- why can't like I'm a springy thing? Make me jumping flash. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um Yeah, I I've also been playing Returnal, um, which is a game by Housemark, um, Finnish developer, did uh, Resogun was the, the the game that I am familiar with their work of. They are an old school developer, they make very complicated, um, very challenging games. And their newest one is Returnal, which is a third-person shooter um, that is, uh, stop me if you've heard this one before Tom Parry, a procedural roguelike. And I didn't think I would be into it, and I really, really liked it, and I beat it. um, And I'm now going through it again to mop up for the Platinum. Sorry for the plane just then, as you were describing Returnal. (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna. I, I, I think that's an unfair criticism, Tom Parry, of you uh, to call Returnal plain and to voice a plain <laughs> noise to get get someone at. I, an I know nothing about off. Returnal, so I'm all ears uh, about this. I, I know yeah. very little other than procedurally generated sci-fi. It's a bit like 
bullet hell in a way. Yes, there's like bullet hell. There's definitely um, like shooter terminology here in terms of like bullet hell and like there are patterns to enemies like firing rings or burst fires and things and how you have to dodge those. Um, the gameplay itself is quite simple. You go around um, big. I uh, procedurally generate is the wrong word because it, while it is a procedural map, a lot of it is very authored content and it's kind of almost like a jigsaw puzzle of how they put things together every time. Like there will be the room with the three statues and you know the room with the three statues and you know the layout of the room and so you're able to learn the the layouts of rooms and potential challenges and pitfalls therein. But every time there will be different enemies spawning in that room. There will be different items spawning in that room. And so that's where the randomness comes in. You can kind of get grips with the map by learning the levels. Um, but it, it is genuinely you you click the right trigger to shoot. Uh, you have a dash, uh, which is on circle, and an X to jump, and then a melee on square. Like, that is, that is the crux of the game. Um... And you just go through these levels. There's six biomes in total. And your goal is to just get through the game. Um, it is perhaps less taxing than something like a Hades where you need to go through all four areas in a in a straight run to get to the final boss to do these things. The game is very good at going... Well, yeah, you've beaten your head against this first biome a lot now. You're into the second one. Um, we're going to give you the ability to kind of quickly traverse to that area. They give you a key to a door. I like and that. Once you've got that key, you don't need to faff around. You, I, I honestly, I find myself kind of going through some of those areas anyway to make sure I get good weapons and health upgrades and these things. But there is a degree of like okay well i know if i i now have the grappling hook upgrade i can actually just go to this area in the first area and skip to the third biome very easily and the game allows you to do that and the game doesn't really punish you for doing that because when you get to when you're playing through the game like obviously you could upgrade your weapon damage you can upgrade how much health you have and how much defense you have but you're also picking up guns. Mm -hmm. And how the gun pickups work are... A, you have to unlock certain guns through various playthroughs. Like, you'll find chests that have any weapons in them. And then after that, you can pick them up in any biome. But there's a thing called... Um, oh, I've forgotten the word for it. Essentially, like, weapon efficiency... And when you are going through the game, you will pick up items that increase your efficiency with the weapons, which means that the guns you pick up also increase in their level. So, like, mm. when you start, you have a level one gun. But then you could be going through, and you can kill some enemies, you can pick up some items. That increases your proficiency, is the word I was looking for, to level three. And then every gun you pick up after that will be a level three gun. Or sometimes you'll get lucky and the game will throw you a level 5 gun, even though your proficiency is only 3. And that is kind of the loop of it. It's you battling through these areas, using these base mechanics of dodge, jump, and shoot to go through areas. And as you're doing that, you are leveling up your character by either unlocks in the world or by picking up items. 
and as you go further in you get stronger and so do the enemies you kind of need to balance out that need to progress with the need to progress your character Mm -hmm. it's a really good game it's a really strong loop i think a lot of that nice touch stuff they do by going like well you know if you want to skip to the fourth biome just do this is very appreciated the game does have acts to it Uh, i won't get into spoilers of what they do but they affect the gameplay and how you experience the game as well all in all i think the foundation's a bit really solid i think it is a tough game but i think it is one that you can overcome and one you can learn and overall whatever the planes say i i really enjoyed uh, my time with eternal so much so that i'm going through it now to do the platinum which is not too taxing it's just a lot of as i've said there are rooms that appear like you know the, the room with the three statues or whatever but they will not always be there every time and so there are some rooms that are rarer than others and that means that when you're trying to pick up things like there are scout logs which are like audio things that you listen to or xenoglyphs which are the alien language you you need to run through those areas a couple of times um, which can be a bit taxing sometimes like I had to run through the first biome trying to find a xenoglyph for eight or nine runs which was like, I literally explored every inch of it, and I was like, oh, but there's nothing here, and I'm on a good run now. Should I just continue in the second biome, or should I just restart, because I'm trying to get this platinum? Which kind of gets in the way of progression a little bit, but all in all, it's quite a fun game, so I don't mind doing more runs of it, the same way I did with Hades after I got the, the final ending of that game. I imagine it also loads pretty quick, being like a PS5 native title. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, the the loading times are lightning fast. The yeah. the one thing that's kind of interesting is I'd kind of expected there are within the maps like warps, so you can go back to a previous vending machine or to one of these gates if you feel that you've powered up enough to jump to the third biome from the first. I'd expected that to be a bit more instantaneous with what I knew of Ratchet and Clank. Don't get me wrong, it's still dead fast. You. Mm you click on the thing and like your character forms into like squares and then reappears a square somewhere else but it's not as like lightning fast as i expected it to be mm. i it think it depends how well the developer can implement the uh, the speed of the ssd into the way the game loads i i yeah i'm not yeah, sure I... i'm not i'm not i'm not a professional uh, technique tech guy but Tom Parry, professional hard drivist. <laughs> I don't know. I know it's um, overall a PS5 games load very well, and of course your PS4 games also see an improvement. But that's I found that um, it varies from game to game. Yeah, I wanted to play Bloodborne, uh, going like, oh well, Bloodborne will probably load fast, and then I tuned on another podcast that that's not necessarily true. I was like, oh, I wish they'd optimize games like no. Bloodborne that did have terrible loading times on the new console. Tell you um, a little test that I've done because I now right. own uh, Dead or Alive Six on both uh, on four different console formats now: Xbox One, <laughs> PS4, PS5, Xbox Series. Do you have to buy Dead or Alive 6 for the PlayStation 5? I didn't own Dead or Alive 6 for the PlayStation 5. I only owned it for Xbox One. Oh, okay, so you didn't have it on the PS4 at all. But I had the disc version on Xbox One, so when I wanted it for Series S, I had to buy the digital version. 
Oh, no. And so I've, I bought the digital version on sale of Dead or Alive 6. And it's a bit stupid thing to do because there's no real difference between playing it on a PS5 to playing it on Xbox Series. Uh, but I did anyway because it was on sale. And I didn't have access to my Xbox at the time. so uh, And I wanted to play Dead or Alive 6. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you that the load times between the series and the PS5 uh, are the same. Right. Pretty much. I can't notice any real difference there. Whereas, of course, on the um, Xbox One, at least, the load times are terrible. And yeah. also a game I have on both up. I, have, I haven't tried either of these on PS4. I have Dragon Ball Fighters as well on the Xbox One, the Xbox Series, and the PS5. Right. Um, Xbox Series and PS5, again, have much better load times than the Xbox One. Uh, so there definitely is, depending on the game, an increase in speed of the load times. Uh, Fallout 76 loads faster than it does on the PS4, right. for sure. And also I noticed some sort of technical improvements there as well. Uh, whereas if you're over a large vista in on the PS4 version of Fallout 76, I assume that the same version of the game, but on PS5 you don't get the stutter as you look across the landscape that you do on PS4. Right. So it's just being, with extra powers being used somehow. <laughs> Interesting. I, but, yeah. Thank you for doing God's work, Tom Parry, and actually going there and going, I will check all of these things. and I will Well, just because I wanted times. wanted to play the games, really. Um, I mean, I swear. Yeah. And so, so basically all the stuff I play regularly, I've put on my PS5, and that's like Fallout 76, uh, Soul Calibur... Um, I've also downloaded Destiny 2 in hope I'm going to get to play that a bit more regularly with friends. Okay. Uh, I thought that would be a good one to have on there. Black Ops 4. You know. I'd love to see what Tomb Raider games are like on the PS5 because they've had a few uh, upgrades. and upgrades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a very so, loud plane. Sorry, <laughs> folks. I I don't know what it is. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure with me you can probably hear trains, and so we just we're one automobile short of uh, a John Candy classic on this podcast. Yeah, sorry. Sometimes the planes fly closer to where I am, and sometimes they're further away. And for some reason, Sunday when we tend to record these podcasts, there's usually quite a lot of planes. Funny that on a weekend people tend yeah, to travel. Yeah, Sunday is is one of the worst days for uh, for planes in the morning. So I can only apologise and reassure you that in the future that will change. <laughs> yeah, well, less hope from here, Tom Parry. It's plain sailing. Um, <laughs> I do hope so. Uh, but yeah, just talk about PS Five again briefly. I just think it feels like the future. Yes. Uh, from the, the UI to the general operation of, of it and the look of the console, it feels like it's something new that's been designed to be very futuristic. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, it it's still very odd, like, looking at the shape of the console and everything else, because, like, that disc tray doesn't feel like it wants to be there at all. <laughs> like, no, the no. shape of that console is just like... Like oh, an abscess like on, on there. it, yeah. yeah. Um, which I, you know, marketing probably decided that, and then realizing on the market really isn't ready for just well, for me, console with the two I, versions. Ma- I made sure I had the a disc version of at least one of this new generation of consoles because I wanted the ability to play 4K Blu-rays. Yeah, and I have sampled that. I 
I think the one that stood out to me, I think I watched two things in 4K Blu-ray. I've watched Aquaman and right. District 9. Okay. And District 9 looked stunning. Aquaman, maybe not so much. I think there's, there's a lot of digital stuff in Aquaman. I was going to say this because I don't think Aquaman looks particularly good anyway. There's a lot I, of like, well, I, low what's nice about, CGI. Well, oh, I think the CGI in Aquaman was really good. I, I, I thought it was a beautiful uh, film in that respect, uh, the design. And also, I think the HDR is pretty nice in Aquaman because there's a lots of lights, uh, lots of sort of like... Yeah, as I understand HDR, it, it, it creates like better variations in the light lighting of a scene and such, doesn't it? It's, um, it does, brings yeah. Things out. Anyway. Uh, forget that terrible explanation. Um, the detail and present on District 9 blew my mind, actually. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can see the four times resolution here. And I think yeah. that's probably because District 9 was filmed on actual film. I, I, I think it was. I didn't think going into it it would be because it's more of a modern film. But for the amount of detail in the picture, I'd say it must have been. Yeah. Probably. Anyway, District 9, great film. If you've never seen District 9, um, it, it holds up very well on repeat viewings. It's a great uh, modern sci-fi classic. And it's been so. a long time since I've seen District 9. I think the last time I watched it was with you, like 10 years ago. When we oh, right, Denmark. okay. So okay. I, I need to give District 9 a watch again. I, I really like that movie. I mean, you know, it was supposed to be a Halo film at some point. Like, there's a lot of cues from video games. Well, you think that, that don't you? Yeah, it, the, 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 the vehicles and the weapons and the feel of it, you think, oh, what, Neil Blomkamp should do a Halo film. And I think that's been, been batted around for a long time. But it has. That's never yeah. come to fruition, I don't think, has it? Unfortunately not, because, I mean, I mean, this is the thing, though, right? Like, I, I'd heard this on a podcast the other day when they were talking about these new releases of Final Fantasy games, like the new Pixel remasters that Square have put out. I did see a a video of Amano talking about his character design for the Final Fantasy series in the wake of that, and it did really make me want to replay six. But mm. fortunately, there's a million ways I can do that, so I don't have to pay like twenty five quid or whatever it is for the Pixel Remaster version. Um, but people were saying like, well, y yeah, but we've moved on so much from that first Final Fantasy. The story isn't really that interesting compared to, like, most fantasy novels. And the gameplay has evolved a lot since then. Is there really anything there to see? And they were, they got into this discussion about, like, well, yeah, but, I mean, lots of fantasy novels are, of course, going to be more rich than the story of video games because of what, how the medium of stories in video games has progressed and it's getting better, but it's not as... It doesn't move the needle as much as say like a real like there is no video game equivalent to Lord of the Rings in terms of story. You know what I mean? Like there's no there's nothing that people hold aloft and go, This is the best story ever told in a video game. People do that with The Witcher, but again, that's because it's based on a book and a lot of those plot points are just taken from the book and then made into a video game. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's kind of what I've played all of the Halo games. I don't particularly find the story of Halo that interesting. I've read the books. I've read, like, four friggin' novels based in the Halo universe, and I don't think 
the story of Master Chief versus the Covenant is really that exciting. Neither uh, do I, and I'm sure maybe we'll have some listeners who would, who would disagree with that if they're big into the Halo universe. But uh, just someone who's just played the games, yeah, it's not grabbed me in the same way some other franchises have. But in general, I would agree with you in terms of storytelling. Video games aren't the greatest medium for storytelling, I, I still don't think. Now, there are examples of some, some stellar storytelling in video games, but, yeah. I Again, I, I revert to the, the games that I think can only have told stories that you can only tell in video games. Both Nier games, Hades, like, these are games to me that use the With medium. good writing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Ga- I've played Hades, use... by the way, now, so I can... Yeah? Yeah, testify to how well it's written and the character dialogue is, is charming and witty and uh, gives the game its flavour, really, doesn't it? Yeah, but I mean, it's also the way it uses the medium of video games to tell that story. Like, oh. you cannot, much like Nia, Nia Automata, like, you cannot experience that story of Hades in a novel or a comic. It wouldn't work. Like, it It's great uses... how, he igno- how the character acknowledges what he's done. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like, and even if he's had to do it several times. Yeah, and the yeah. more you get, the more you get into that, and the more you build up relationships with other characters as well. Mm. And the in the inter dialogue of like you meeting one character and then finding another character within your run who knows that character, and them talking back and forth. And then the game acknowledging, okay, well, you know that this character knows this character now. So when you meet that character again, you're going to bring up the relationship. And it, the way it can do dynamic storytelling like that, and the way it uses the run-based mechanics of that game to make really interesting loops is amazing to me. Like, I love the writing of Pyre. I love the writing of Transistor. I love Bastion. Like, I, I'm a huge fan of Supergiant. But... I think Hades really delivers on the pro- on the promise of what video games can do as a storytelling media, much like Nia does. I think mm. we're entering that era now where, of course, we're going to get your Uncharted's, which are essentially like an Indiana Jones movie or, you know, like even playing Returnal, like a lot of the story there, it's kind of based off of tropes within Alien and stuff and how they do their world building. Like There's a lot of games draw from other mediums mm-hmm. but i think I, I mean hey hades draws from fucking greek mythology but that's neither here nor there i think they do something interesting with it they reinterpret it in, in a way that only video games can mm-hmm. whereas something like a returnal or a halo or an uncharted just kind of are trying to be a cinematic storytelling device and I think but really, it's all about the shooting or the action, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the yeah. story kind of feels pigeonholed in there, right? It's a, it's a cutscene between a thing, or it's an audio log, or it's a characters having conversations, walking slow while holding their ears as we've just. I think here's a, another before. great ex- example: uh, Destiny. There's a story there, but I don't know. I have a clue what's going on. Oh, you didn't read all of the grimoire cards? <laughs> no, thanks. I just wanted to shoot stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean. <laughs> That's the thing, though, right? Like, video games don't necessarily need story. And I think when when they do, and when they are able to do things like Yoko Taro has done twice now, like, use the medium to tell an interesting story that couldn't be told any other way, I think it's fucking ace. Like, I, 
I love it. Mm. it. It's the next generation of stories, but like those experiences that really move the needle for me like that are few and far between. Like actually, Doki Doki Literature Club, which is I believe now just come out on Switch, which I'm very curious to see how that works. Also, kind of does some stuff to fuck around with you as a consumer playing a video game that I think you can only really do if you understand and appreciate how games work. Mm-mm. We're seeing more and more of it, but it they're still rare. It's not like AAA video games have suddenly gone like, oh well, actually we should use this. We should use this medium to tell interesting stories ha- we can only tell. It's like, well, you like Vikings, right? What if the Did Vikings get- killed some more people? I just. Uh- do we get to this point about story writing in games based on what District Nine to Halo? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> it's a massive, massive tangent. It's almost as okay. if Tom Parry. I'm not used to holding uh, conversations because I haven't really spoken to that many. No, that that was that was a good little tangent. No, no, I did enjoy that. Um, have yeah. you been playing anything else? Like, no, I haven't. I I've bought some other stuff. than Returnal and Astrobot. Returnal and Astrobot are the yeah. main two. I have Control here. I have. Um, Control was free Immortals. on PlayStation Plus. Did you get that? Uh, it was I have, at one point. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've got the collector's edition, but I've got the PS5 oh, version because you cannot upgrade your PlayStation 4 copy of, a t- of Control unless you have the ultimate Game of the Year edition version. Ah, okay. Now, I played Control briefly on the Series S. And while I thought it was very smooth and I kind of liked the shooting, I lost interest pretty quick. Ah, oh, fair enough. I've now, I hear bit... that's a good story, I hear as well. I hear there's, there's, there's uh, story stuff in that. And it does actually some very creative, unusual things to tell that story. Yeah. Uh, as you'd imagine from um, Remedy. the developer, Remedy, Remedy. Uh, yeah. use of live action uh, footage as well within the game world. It, yeah, it did some very clever things. However, I, it was the core gameplay of, of Control that sort of... I grew a bit tired of it quite quickly. I'm curious to see how I react to that, because I've yeah. played through most of Remedy stuff other than the one on the Xbox. Quantic. Quantum Dream? Quantum... No, no that's, a studio, that's a studio, isn't it? Yeah, it's Quantum, Quantum Break. Quantum Break. Quantum Break, yeah. <laughs> I, I've played every other Remedy game, like... From Max Payne to Alan Wake, and I I like that kind of game, but I do know what you mean. Like even there was points between towards the end of Alan Wake where I was like, oh, this is quite tedious. I, 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 I mean, so I could have given up on Control too early. I think that's probably the case, but no, that, there's too many games on Game Pass. Do you know what I mean? I have to delete yeah, it to make space yeah. for another one. Uh, well, this is <laughs> the thing with Game Pass, man. Like it, it's yeah. the Netflix problem, right? You're almost yeah. spoiled for choice, whereas. Yeah. Fortunately for me, I'm getting these games out of the library, so I'm not paying for them anyway. Which, as we talked about before the podcast, don't get Game Pass, get a library pass. Um, the well, if I, you live in Denmark and you have a nice selection, of yeah, games, exactly. You can and if you know you live in a, you you live in an economy that can actually afford and like let you rent out things like this because of the law and how it works. Um, the yeah, I'm I'm gonna play. I had Outriders as well. I just didn't get a chance to play it because of that old Rona. I have to um, say, I've deleted Outriders to make space as well. Yeah, uh, I, I played it once and I enjoyed it and thought it was quite impressive. But I thought, actually, I need to play other things, so it, it went. Yeah, fair enough. You have to be ruthless uh, when you only have a, what is it a very small 
amount of space on your Xbox Series S. Although I didn't say that, I do have an external SSD in that as well, 500 gigabytes external SSD, as well as whatever's left on the internal SSD when you cool. get the console. You're really investing in hard drives. This is why you are Tom Parry, the hard drive expert. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I should probably get that uh, memory expansion eventually for the Series S. But you know, it's throwing down that amount of money isn't something you want to be doing all the time. No, not casually. No. No, not exactly. casually. Um, okay, I've been playing quite a lot, uh, yeah. but I won't go into detail um, too much detail. Uh, Project Car 3, I downloaded that um, play, PS4 game, playing on PS5. Yeah. I think it's really good, a very addictive, very pick-up-and-play. It's more arcadey than the other games in the series and uh, very um, user-friendly once you get used to the handling. Cause it's sort of like in-between simulation arcade. It's not pure arcade, uh, but, yeah, it's very satisfying the way the, the cars handle and more right. arcadey than the other games. Okay. Um so that's on PS4. Uh, what else have been playing? Uh, ooh, Evil Within on Xbox Series. So that's right. part of Game Pass currently. And actually, what gave me the incentive to play that game again was the fact that there was some Game Pass reward thing. Get seven kills and get some reward points uh, to put okay. towards some sort of... Uh, you know, maybe a Xbox gift card or something eventually. I think I've got like 2,000 points, I need like 5,000 points before I can get like a £5 off voucher. And it takes a long while to build up the points if you're not doing these weekly, monthly challenges and such. Anyway, yeah. it made me install with Evil Within on my Series S. Now, I previously started to play that on the Xbox 360 when the game first came out. And I didn't get very far. And I wonder now what made me stop playing because obviously Evil Within it's a Shinji Mikami game and it's got a lot in common with Resident Evil and it also has a lot of elements that remind me of Eve, uh, sorry, uh, Shadows of the Damned yeah. in there as well. I'm thinking wow, this is like totally my kind of game why did I stop playing it? And I'm sure I'll work out soon enough why uh, but at this point I'm like Matt, if you if you've never played Evil Within, I think you'd get something out of that. I remember watching you play it, and I remember it seeming very slow and kind of old, even for like a, a PS4 game. Like it felt like a PS2 game when I was watching you play. Really? It. Oh, I don't think that. I think it's got a very unique style about it. It almost looks like film grain on the screen. It's also letterboxed. Also, yeah, the no, aspect ratio isn't the usual uh, TV full-screen aspect ratio. It's very cinematic, and it's got this uh, like grime and and, and uh, no, um, I I remember I remember the weird like ash floating around like the weird yeah, like, filter. You what, yeah, I it was more on how the combat worked and everything else. I mean, it, I know it's not tank controls, but it kind of harkened back to that era of survival horror for me. And I was well, like, I'd oh. say it's like Resi 4, really. It controls very similar to Resi 4 and Shadow of the Damned yeah, in, okay. in that respect. You... I think what makes it interesting, more interesting than perhaps Resident Evil 4, is it's got those same kind of weird Shadow of the Damned-like ideas in its setup. Yeah. You know, the the, the fact that where are you? You know, you're in some sort of mental institution. You'd be recovering from a terrible accident, and you're living this sort of in this dreamlike world where these characters that are with you right before you died 
that are appearing. Yeah. And it's sort of, it's like, I don't know. It's, you don't know really where it's going. And because I've never really got very far in the game, I still don't really know what's happening. Yeah. But, yeah, it's got the atmosphere of Shadow of the Damned and style about it. But it's not as funny as Shadow of the Damned, which I, I miss. It's very serious. It's not funny yeah, in the yeah. slightest. It's, it's, it's horror. It real proper horror, but it differs from Resident Evil in the fact that you maybe want to spend a bit more time sneaking. There's more of an emphasis on not letting them the enemies see you. Yeah, I do remember one bit very on, early on in the game where you go come up behind a zombie-like creature and it looks over its shoulder at you, and it's that's Resident Evil one. Yeah. That's when yeah. the zombie looks over his shoulder at you at the yeah. start of that game. Uh, so it really does uh, wear its heritage on its sleeve. Yeah. But it reminds you of how good uh, Shinji Mikami is as a, you know, a director of, the, of these titles. And yeah. I think it's well worth um, returning to, okay. I, I would say. I'm having a lot of fun with it uh, currently. Well, once I wanted I to finish... give that a, some time in the spotlight. <laughs> okay, I swear. Once I've finished Returning with the Returnal, um, maybe I will... Do you have it, though? Do you have it uh, playable? Do you have a... I don't know. It's probably in the library. If not, I'm sure. Mm. It's on Game Pass, but I know you don't have access to that. Uh, it's also on, uh, what is it, 360, PS3, PS4, Xbox One, so it is on there. It's on the the full gamut of consoles, no, I know, but I, is, I'm not yeah. sure if I have PC. it. Uh, Biomutant, still loving it. Went back to it recently. It was like, uh, it all came back to me very quick. It's a very easy to play game. I love like doing all the side quests currently. There's so many side quests. And just leveling up your character, improving the armour and weapons and such, and going through that open world, doing all the uh, quests is... Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Love it. Love it. But I mean, it's amazing. I don't know why more people aren't didn't shout about it at the time and didn't like it. I, I don't get it. Still don't get it, Matt. It's, it's great. It's okay, Tom. It's okay. Oh, Lonely Mountains Downhill is a Game Pass game, which is a BMX game where you're downhill BMXing. Yeah. And it's incredibly fun. Arcade style. Um, yeah, really love it. Okay. Um, of course, I played Hades a bit, which I, I liked. Good first impression there. Uh, playing a fair amount of Dirt 5, as it's on Game Pass again. Started Resident Evil 7, haven't returned to it recently, getting my horror fix of Evil Within, so I would like to come back to Resident Evil 7, because you know, as you know, I think I was talking about this before we start podcasting. Yeah. Um, but must get back to that. I played Flight Sim. Uh, also, I've only installed the whole thing. I'm streaming part of it, I think, and that works very okay. well. Um, that was cool. I must have good enough internet connection for that one. I think it's like 100 gig or half that for a sort of cloud version of the game. So you install some, but it's loading in other stuff okay. as well, other data. But, you know, it's actually quite a pick-up-and-play, despite what I've heard other people say about it. It's a game that you can pick up and play. You you don't really have to know much to fly a plane. No. Around, well, which surprises I mean... me for a game called Flight Simulator. You just sort of take off and fly around and just... You seem to have infinite fuel... Um, just don't crash. Yeah, well, I mean, like, in, I think in I think in real life, slightly more complicated. But I think that game, 
can be more complicated if you wanted to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it certainly can. Um, I handed the controller over to, to, to Claire to have a go, and, and she just landed the plane perfectly. First go. Yeah. Okay. So I thought landing the plane, oh, that's going to be hard. But no, no. T- turns out um, easy as flicking on a light switch. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, it looks amazing. It's it's. Uh, but you know, is there a lot to keep you coming back to it? I think it's a good game to relax with. Music's nice. Have a. I don't see me playing it a lot. Probably going to get deleted some point soon when he's in hard drive space. But yeah. it's worth checking out. Uh, also, Rock and Roll Racing. It's come out on the Switch as part of uh, Activision Blizzard's uh, sort of classics collection. Okay. And Rock and Roll Racing is uh, for those who don't know, it's an isometric uh, racing game, uh, four-player uh, tournament racing thing, and you upgrade your cars between races. You have weapons. It's got music. By uh, Black Sabbath and uh, yeah, I was going to say, is and... that music still in the game? Yeah, yeah, okay. it is. Okay. I think I think it's been changed. I think a couple of tracks have been swapped out, maybe. Because uh, I've played the original on Super Nintendo, and that had Born to Be Wild on it as well. I think, and I think there was something that I wasn't hearing on this version. Like one of the right. tracks couldn't be licensed for whatever reason. Don't quote me on that. I'm not hundred percent. I, I vaguely remember the... something about them not being able to relicense certain things, and I, I, I've got a GBA version of it that oh, doesn't yeah. have a lot of music, from what I remember. I think this is fairly accurate to the original. You can get, you can play the Super Nintendo version, the Mega Drive version, Genesis, and uh, a new remastered version. It's in widescreen with actual CD quality music. Right. Uh, which isn't the original versions of certain songs. Okay. Uh, but it's a great racing game for those who like the kind of thing. And I love Micro Machines, uh, RC Pro AM, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, for those who like that. Then that's well worth picking up. It was on sale recently. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've heard it's a very good game. Doesn't it's a great anything. game. Um, so, yeah, if you're into racing games, you might like that. And other than that, I've been getting into buying a few cheap Famicom games. I brought okay. my Scorpion 8 over to the flat with me. So uh, it's quite fun collecting Famicom games because they're cheap and they come in different colour cartridges. Yeah, different shapes as well, depending <laughs> on the, the publisher and everything. It's a funny one. I'm showing that cartridge now. You can't see. Oh, that's but a long cartridge. Wow. A, a Jallico cartridge. And it's got a little cover for the cartridge part. That's nice. Connector. Why didn't more games ship with cartridge covers? That would have been cool. It's massive. I know why. Price. Um, That's, that game is uh, Lord of the King. Lord of the King. Cool. <laughs> Which reminds me a bit of Castlevania, but was really massive sprites. Okay. Yeah. Fun and games. Um, Fun and games, definitely. I'm trying to think oh, Hattress is amazing, by the way. Hattress is so good. Why hadn't I played Hattress before? I have a version of Hattress for the Game Boy. I've never yeah. played. Yeah. Oh, you've never played it? I've never played Hattress. It's it's hat stacking, and it's great, and it's by the creator of Tetris. Why it is, yeah, which, are, which is why it's called Hattress. Mm. Um, yeah. Also, Devil what? World. Never played Devil World before, but that was really good. 
Yeah, I, I like Devil World a lot. I've been meaning to pick up a Scandinavian copy of that because NES games seem to be on the decline year and that seems relatively affordable for just a cartridge now, which is nice. Um, I've I've been I've picked up a few things. Like the issue is, I bought a couple of games before, literally like the day before we had to self isolate, and I can't really remember what they were. Um, I know I got a a copy of uh, World Heroes Jet Two for the Game Boy with the Chinese label, uh, oh. which I was pretty happy with. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, hey, the only copy on eBay at the moment is being asked a silly amount of money for it, and I I did not pay that, which was nice. Um, I I had a I had a weird experience last week where I went to a flea market, which is why we didn't podcast last week because it's literally the first time I've been out of the house. And other than the fact that it was really weird to me that there was a, a flea market on, there's still a global pandemic, and I was like, well, I've got immunity at the moment, like none of you people do, and you all seem very close, um, was that we, I went around, I saw some stuff, like I, I saw a, a PlayStation 1 with like 30-odd games with it for 30 quid, but they were all sports titles, there was nothing really there I wanted, so I didn't try and haggle. There was like lots of like little bits of DS and some Game Boy stuff actually as well, but I it was either things I already had or things I I didn't want. So I, I wandered through the flea market and was like, okay, well there's nothing really I'm gonna get here. Then we went to a like a proper retro market that was selling mostly furniture and other bits and bobs, you know, you, you've been to antique markets with me before, Tom, you've, you've seen kind yes. of the hodgepodge of stuff. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, as part of that, some people had video games. And I was like, oh, this is not what I like to see, because like, if these people who are like buying antiques are suddenly aware that there's value in video games, it means that the market's going to become even tighter than it already is, because you're not only going to have video game collectors buying stuff, but you're going to have these like people who don't actually give a shit just buying stuff because then they can price it or whatever. Yeah. And I saw a lot of this. Like There was lots of stalls that had N64 games. They're like, not good N64 games, like Top Gear for like 200 kroner, like base price. Which Top is Gear Rally? Top Gear Rally, which is probably more than eBay. Just because it's retro. And I'm like, oh no, mm, I hate this. Not that old thing. And I, yeah, I mean, I'd experienced this a couple of years ago with Game & Watch stuff where someone tried to charge me, I think they were asking like 2,000 kroner on a Donkey Kong Game & Watch, which is worth nowhere near that, but their argument was, oh, it's retro. And I'm like, eh, yeah, but I'm the I'm the person who buys this shit and trust me, I'm not paying 2,000 kroner for it. Mm. Um, I wandered around and I literally, Tom, I, I had cartoon eyes shooting out of my head as I walked past one stall that had an absolute shitload of PS2 games, because it was not the same tat you see on other stalls. It was actual good PS2 games. Like they had Klonoa 2. They had all of the Shadow Hearts games. They had a fucking sealed copy of Shadow Hearts 1. And oh, I was yeah. just like, oh my god, like this table of PS2 games has got amazing games. Fuck it, I'm just going to throw an offer out for all of them. Tuggy Rally. Yeah. Sorry, one second before you go there. Yeah. Uh, you said it was two hundred kroner. What for a loose cartridge? For a loose cartridge. Well, that's rubbish because it's less than that for a complete boxed copy with instructions. My point exactly, Tom Parry. 
but like I got caught, <laughs> this stall with PS2 games I was like fuck amazing like good PS2 games I haven't seen good PS2 games at a flea market in years mm. and they were all individually priced I was mm-hmm. like oh all of these are more expensive than eBay except the one thing of value on that table was um, obviously the the pre-mentioned sealed copy of Shadow Hearts yeah did you um, get it? I did. I paid about 50 quid for it, which felt fucking wrong at a flea market. Um, And I'm not going to say the price. They actually paid for it because when I peeled off their sticker, there was another sticker underneath Tom. A lot less than I paid for it too. Um, When did they pay that, I wonder? Because at one point, um, Shadow Hearts didn't have much value, I don't think. I, I Trust me, Tom. Rather recently, I would imagine, based on the the name of the shop that was there and I was like that's only been there about two years this wasn't right. like admittedly like perhaps they could have been longer who knows mm. but it was nowhere near what they paid for it but I'm like ah oh, fuck now these people like people who give no shits about the hobby who just see it as a source of income are now going to be scouring charity shops and buying games like I've seen a bit of it recently mm-hmm. where I've been in charity shops and there's been like people eBaying the prices of fucking NHL 21 as if uh, oh. uh, 2001 as if an NHL game is something. I'm like, you clearly don't know shit about video games, but you're just trying your luck where you're gonna try and look for these things. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And that's that's becoming more of a trend. I'm afraid it seems that way. Like, oh, that's well, a shame. I'd but you have a copy of Shadow Hearts now, and you got it cheaper than eBay prices, would you say, I'd, for a sealed Well, copy? I mean, for a sealed copy, there are none yeah. on eBay. The only ones that are on there at the moment are American copies, which are almost a grand. I do, um, wow. I do remember seeing Shadow Hearts when I used to work at a game. And, uh, yeah, I don't remember it being very expensive. Because I, I, I worked a game when it came out, yeah. I think. Uh, so, yeah, it wasn't something I was particularly interested in. So, it was a game one. I've always been interested in. And to be honest, mm. they had another copy of it open, and I almost bought both of them. But the thing that stopped me buying both of them was a that was ridiculous because like I wanted to get the sealed copy cheaper, and then me buying another copy was like, well, I'm still spending that fucking money anyway. But you're gonna open the sealed copy anyway, though. Uh no, I'm not. You're not. No, no fucking no, way. You're am gonna I sell that? It. You bought I... it just to sell it, not to I play did... it. <sighs> I've I bought it because I was like this is a ridiculously rare thing like I I very rarely see copies of Shadow Hearts and like mm. I could I honestly like I mean I could sell it and probably buy all three games it's right okay cool yeah, like, yeah. well I, good luck yeah l- let's see I mean hey my my stack of sealed games is slowly rising and I'm just like I should probably sell these while there's still value in them like but it only seems to be going up doesn't it i suppose it does yeah does that's... it seem like that to you or do you think certain things are getting a bit cheaper now i think super nintendo and nes seem to be balancing out i i i'm sure mm. don't get me wrong I'm, I'm sure like sealed copies of games for those era are probably very expensive being sold behind closed doors yeah. and I'm sure there are still people paying a well, couple of hundred yeah. quid for Super Nintendo games but That's I think it's it. less and less because collectors want games in a certain condition people who want to play games don't care so much yes. and therefore the, 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 the prices the, the more collectible condition games will be high whereas the others will probably be much lower 
I, I think so. I there's mean, more I, of a demand. The collectors, there's more. Of, there's maybe more collectors who want those kind of sealed games now, for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, to sell a, them on, I don't know. <laughs> hey, I, I think same reason with like Pokemon cards, right? I, I think people who are buying these things see them as something where the value will only increase as time goes on because these things will become more obscure and traded between things. I, I think what we're seeing with video games at the moment is kind of what I've seen with Bitcoin to some extent. Mm. I think people are getting into this market now, like long after this market is like, you know, gone are the days where I could go to a flea market and pick up like a couple of hundred quids worth of games for fuck all. Like people are too aware. There's not enough out there. Mm. And I think people are hedging their bets and investing into this as if it's going to be a thing that's going to be around for a long time Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's true i don't i i imagine a lot of like from what i've been reading a lot of games collecting in the u.s prices have skyrocketed for ntsc stuff because of the stimulus checks that people got uh the stimulus checks that people got before covid like when they were when they were furloughed and they were given like a thousand dollars each i think a lot of people bought video games with that (laughs) Um, which you know is is what it is. Goes but to show I, how popular it is as a hobby, isn't it? Yeah, but it also just goes to show that people are willing to invest in physical objects, like, almost like a gold standard, mm. rather than keep monies in banks. Which is a weird thing, but I also just think it's a bubble economy. Like we've been saying for a long time, I think the price of video games will eventually come back down to a reasonable level for cartridges and whatever. Mm. I mean, I fucking... Hey, good example of this, right? There's a Garfield game for the PS2. Um, I know the one. Is it just called Garfield? No, there are... There, no. There, there's multiple ones. There's Garfield, right. there's Lasagna World Tour, and there's one called, like, Finding... Not Odie. Odie. What's the name of the female cat in Garfield? Normal or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway... There's this this fucking PS2 game. It's like the third Garfield game that came out. Some streamer played it on Twitch, and then people were like, "Oh God, on a UKV copy, this is really rare." And prices of like a game that was like four quid immediately shot up to about a hundred eighty pound. Because mm. people now know it exists. Because now it's rare. people know yeah. it exists, and people have decided that it is rare. Like you can literally buy Spanish copies of this game for like four quid, and they're in English. It doesn't matter, it's just because it's got UK... Oh, the world's gone mad, the world's gone mad, yeah. Yeah, but I, I saw a copy of it in uh, the shop that we... The second-hand shop in Aarhus, uh, Bog Shopping, that we go to, mm. we used yeah. to go to. And I was like, oh! I was like, oh, how much is the copy of Garfield? Because I was vaguely aware that, like, this was doing the rounds. And he goes, 2,000 corner. I was like, that seems a bit high, even based on what I've seen for it. And he's like, if you can find a cheaper copy online, he said, I'll price match it. He goes... Well, that's what I'm sticking to. And I was like, good luck then. <laughs> no one's ever going to buy that game for 2,000 kroner. Because why would they? I like, I would know. Oh, like, wow. Had it not been like 100 kroner, I'd be going like, oh, go on, I'll buy it. I'll fucking give it a go for 100 kroner. But like. But is it good or what? No! It's a, <laughs> it's a shovelware garf. Like, are any of the Phoenix games any good, Tom? But they demand high prices because of that. Like. It's a weird world we're living in, Tom. Like, I saw a review of Dead Eye Jim recently, and they sort of just sort of, yeah, it's a bit crap. I'm like, yeah. come on. Yeah. Dead Eye <laughs> Jim's a good game. I'll, st- I'll stick by that. I'll be on my tombstone. 
<laughs> Dead Eye Jim is a 7 out of 10. Well, it's certainly better than the equivalent version on the PS1 on, on Shoot. Uh, yeah. It's a step up from that. I forget what that was called. I, I mean, hey, like, compared to Extreme Quads. Wild West, it's called, on, on Shoot. Yeah, but I, I think Dead Eye Jim is, is alright. It, it was a good time. For those who don't know, Shoot is a compilation game of action shooting games where half of them are the same pretty yeah much, but just, just with, with different, different models yeah yeah um it's not that good it's phoenix game but it does no. have the uh, the proto dead eye gym on it it so. does yeah exactly i mean documenting the history of dead eye gym is very important to me and tom Harry as long term listeners and low yeah I, I don't know tom video games gone mad i think the days of cheap games are kind of over here i know that's been the case in the in the us and the uk for a long time mm. well but i'm just happy that i did my game collecting uh, a few years back really the majority of so yeah me too i didn't I mean, pay the earth for a lot of these things which are getting more and more expensive nowadays yeah exactly but it, to be honest with you i'm not uh, as i've talked about several times like I went to a flea market yesterday. I saw lots of like okay PS2 games. I didn't buy any of them because I don't fucking need them anymore. And like, I don't think I need the PS2 games I have. And eventually, I'm gonna sell a lot of that shit off. And it was, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of nice to know that you know that you don't have to buy stuff. I don't. I see people as I've mentioned like at flea markets, and they're walking around with like fucking arms full of boxes full of like shit DS games. And I'm like, well, you've done all that. You've bought them all on ga- all the Game Boy games, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, hey, like Game Boy games, a lot of them have got a lot of merit, but like a lot of DS games, I don't know. I don't want the fucking Zoom Zoom hamster game. Like, why would I buy that? Why? why is DS the next sort of thing? You know, like you collected Game Boy. Other people out there now are doing the same thing with DS. I mean, seal, sealed game collecting for the Game Boy Advance is on the rise at the moment. Is the one mm. of the things I've noticed. Like Game Boy Advance prices have genuinely always been quite high compared to the Game Boy Color, mm. but sealed Game Boy Advance prices now are starting to go really high. There are games that I bought like three or four years ago, going like, "Hmm, this game is only released in Spain. Maybe I should buy this." And like, managed to pick up sealed copies of things yeah. like Shaman King Two on um, eBay for like a fiver. And now they're mm. like 300 quid games. I'm like, mm, no, but I wanted to play this. <laughs> so anything open this box. after the Game Boy Advance, I, could, I wouldn't see you collecting like a loose DS collection. No, because the, 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 the games then, there was so much more that you, it's like PS2, isn't it? The DS yeah. was pretty much. Yeah. I, I, I think I have everything I want for the DS. As Wasn't well. the Game Boy Color also a bit like that? Know. The Game Boy, the Game Boy Color is very much like that. Unfortunately, there's only like 400 Game Boy Color games. Oh, yeah. And honestly, like, there are some very good Game Boy Color games. There are some things that came out, especially only in Europe, that are very interesting. I think there's a lot of cool Game Boy Color stuff. Mm. I, I think the D- the DS stuff, for me, the re- the really interesting games on the DS are RPGs or shooters or things that are slightly quirky like Hotel Dusk and like the rise of visual novels and things you get on that console I, I'm sure were I to play all of the more hunt games that came out on the DS which is a weird German chicken or Kokio or Gift or any of these weird platformers that are like Eurocentric I'm sure well, one Gift's of them would be good not a bad, 
bad game on the PS2. Yeah, least. I know, but there's like 20 gift games on the DS and Wii. Is it? Like, right, yeah, know. like there's there's a there's gift. So gift is a popular character. Well, I mean, it's it's just a children's television character. Like the reason yeah. there's like. There's we didn't have of... a clue what gift was. I mean, gift came out on PS2. Like, no one knew what gift was. You just thought yeah. it, I just thought it was like a video game thing. No, I, I mean it could be. It could be like Hugo or Pixelina or any of these like weirdly specific regional video game characters that you see. Mm. But I, I'm not sure. I, I, I not honestly like there are so many like weird video game franchises that I see a lot from that era, especially when people were trying to make a mascot platformer, like long after the days of mascot platformers had kind of come and gone. They're like I've just not I I don't feel the same urge to try a DS game, and I, I don't know if that's just because I'm like oh well these are probably going to do some shitty things with the stylus that I don't want to bother with or. It's, Again, it's perhaps not retro enough as well, is it? I mean, to, to, I, to I, appeal to your Game Boy tastes. Well, I mean, as I've already mentioned, I don't really like three D platformers, and I imagine mm. a lot of them are probably shit three D platformers. It's not oh, my. I don't know, I don't know how many three D I... platformers are on the DX? But... Hey, man, I, I mean, you're probably right. Actually, there's probably a lot of them are two D, but a lot of them are probably shit two D platformers. I don't know, or a lot of them are like weird I like platformers. Games. <laughs> I, I mean, I like platformers, but I don't want to. I don't want to pay a subpar platformer on a Nintendo DS. Well, on la- unless you know it's like Crocktail for fifty p on Switch, you know. Yeah, even, like even ski- that. Co- coffin dodges, you know. I, I will. I will play a janky game that is like a quid, but I don't need to own a physical box and manual and everything else of a janky no. platformer for a quid. You know, like. Hmm. Yeah. I, I okay, let's draw a line to that one. <laughs> okay, let's wrap up this podcast anyway. I mean, it is it is a bumper episode. We've gone on a couple of tangents. You we can tell I've been haven't lined. spoken to each other for ages. So if, if apologies, if it turns a bit of a ramble fest. Uh, but uh, I've enjoyed myself. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, we've got you, you've enjoyed it. Too. We dusted off all the old soap boxes. We talked about games being expensive. And oh, we mentioned Shadows of the Damned, but uh, didn't mention Shenmue or Yakuza at all. So until now, well, I was I was going to bring it up when we were talking about <laughs> save transfers for Yakuza because I was gonna I'm gonna dip back into like a dragon at some point and try and platinum that. But you know, that's that's further down the line, Tom. We can talk about Yakuza. Until the cows come home, someone someone mentioned the other day that they bought um, a copy of Kenzen, and I, it still makes me sad that I'm like, oh, I want those games. And I'm uh, but you've got uh, uh, Kiryu in the new Monkey Ball uh, remaster, so yes, exactly, and so it will <laughs> scratch that itch. I've also got. I, I realise I never beat the Fist of the North Star game, and so I will. No, neither have I. I. Never played it. I've owned that for a long time. I still never played it. I, I have a weird like limited edition that I bought in Italy that only came mm. out in Italy with a really nice lenticular cover and I was like oh this is cool um, but I, I still I still haven't played it I, I need to, I, I want to it is the only game in that series bar Ishin oh actually I could oh, I could buy a PS4 copy of Ishin and play that on my PS5 oh I'm going to do that Tom that sounds like a good idea, let's do that oh. um, the yeah, I've not played Ishin and I've not beaten the Fist of the North Star game. Even though I got quite far into the the Hong Kong version I was playing, I've not beaten that game. I need to go and do that. Okay. I, actually, now that we talk about this, I don't think I ever finished um, Kawami 2 either. 
Stuff for me to do, Tom Parry. Don't worry about it. This gaming drought that we look like we're on the edge of. I'll weather through it. Whether the planet will, who knows? But I will. It'll be fine. Yeah, well, I've got plenty of games that I, I'm just playing now. Like Evil Within, for instance. So there you go. Exactly. We'll get through it, Tom. And so will you, dear listener. Thank you for letting us be in your years for so long. I had to pronounce it that then. I almost said years. And people you did say years, years, did you? You I said years. I said, I said years. I pronunciated not years. Um, years. Which is what I would use. 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 Hugh, <laughs> ear. Oh, God. Hugh, ear. Oh, God, I can't even say use. Right, okay. Ears. Say ears. Head. Say that again. Use. Sounds like years. I know, I know, I know I'm aware. That's why I had to pronounce it years <laughs> and ears and why it sounds weird because you, 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 and you. Here, year, and ear. Anyway. Okay, I got it. Um, yeah. Thank you for letting us be in your ears. And um, hopefully we will be back next week uh, with the regularly scheduled program of Tom and Matt Attack. If you have enjoyed listening to this, um, you can find us in a variety of places such as on facebook.com forward slash Tom and Matt Attack, Twitter at TMACast, at GameBoyle for me, at TomParry11 for Mr. Parry. You can also find us on blastprocess.com and if you want to give the podcast a listen or look at the archives, you can do so at tomamattack.com forward slash podcast. You also do that in Spotify, in Stitcher, Stitcher. and in iTunes. And when you're there, why not give us a cheeky rate uh, to let us know you're listening Why not share with other people because that's important for podcasts, not for listeners. Tom, as always, Have all our listeners dropped off now? No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, I, I think, right, fair I hope they haven't. But I mean, you know, let us know if you're listening. Um, either drop a comment on tomattack.com or Blast Process or on Twitter or Facebook, whichever one. Just let us know. We, we'd we like to hear you here because, you know, we haven't done this in like two months and... Uh, we'd like to hear you here in uh, your ears. Yeah, I mean... So. People people don't automatically desubscribe from podcasts, Tom. Like, I've had stuff, annoyingly, usually, like, ads where I've listened to an old podcast and then that podcast is no more. And then wow. whoever owns that podcast stream will, like, put an ad in their podcast stream mm-hmm. just be like, hey, Mark here. I know we haven't done a, an episode of um, Flim Flam Medoozle for several <laughs> years now, but I have a new podcast about gardening. Mm-hmm. Here's a preview. And I'm like, oh, go away, Mark. I don't want to. Beautiful it's not Flim Flam Medoozle. I yeah. don't want to know. Flim Flam Medoozle. There's a podcast yeah. title. There's a podcast anyway. title. Good luck with the thumbnail, Tom. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you very much, everybody, and as always, um, be sure uh, to game on. Game on. Game on.